Yeah, so I'm Christopher Rios, and I am one of the directors and uh, co-executive producers of Minuto Forever Young. And um, I'm also a journalist of um, well over a decade now. Let's have a real big welcome for Menudo. Menudo. Manager Edgardo Diaz adopted a fountain of youth strategy. The individual members are simply replaced once they reach the age of 16. They were the first boy band because the formula wasn't already there. They had these massive pop hits that were internationally popular. That is something that Menudo taught us boy bands could do. It's called Menuditis. Nosotros teníamos una avenida paralizada en Nueva York. The Puerto Rican community was invisible to English language media. Y de pronto llegan cinco chicos puertorriqueños rompiendo con todo ese estereotipo cantando español. And you're like, oh my God, these kids are like me. Such a sense of pride. And that was just so freaking magical. There were a lot of good things that came out of Menudo, but there was a price to pay for that magic. None of us were really prepared for what it was really going to be like. There was no interest in protecting us. We felt vulnerable. I remember being in Brazil and finding myself in a room of these older men asking me if I'm already liking sex. What was Customs doing with you? How many drugs? Well, we never do that thing. I started throwing up blood. I could have died. If it was going to cost me my life, I'd rather not be famous and live. Menudo was a beautiful thing that came out of a not-so-beautiful situation. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that's what it was. Menudo opened up the possibility that this is something we can aspire to. La historia de Menudo will live on forever. This is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week, I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome award-winning filmmaker Christopher Rios, director and producer of the HBO Max docuseries Menudo, Forever Young. The film brings to life the uplifting as well as tragic story of Menudo, arguably the first international boy band and one of the most successful. Starting from humble roots in 1970s Puerto Rico, the group conquered the pop world in the 1980s and 90s, taking their brand of Latin pop worldwide. But as the boys grew older and their voices started changing, they discovered that they were easily replaceable with a steady stream of 12 to 15-year-olds in the wings ready to chase their dreams of stardom. Such success came with an unnecessary price, however, as revealed by former members. The boys, separated from their parents, were often overworked, neglected, emotionally and physically abused, and became easy targets for sexual predators. Stay tuned as we talk with Christopher about Menudo, the allegations made in the film, and how the band still has a fond place in the hearts of millions. Christopher, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Going okay, all things considered. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've just, I mean, you need to share because you've already told us. Uh, you've, you've, yeah, you've, I, you've got COVID. I've got COVID. I, I, I've managed to, I think I actually got COVID early, early on. Um, at this time, I was working for ABC News and uh, I was out quite a bit. Uh, 
but since then um i've managed to avoid it and then just the other day uh came down with a fever the fever's done but um but you know it's uh covid's a journey so i'm i'm uh you know, still yeah. feeling a little fatigued yeah <laughs> well 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 as i said before i i think you're the first guest we've had who's actually had covid when we've been uh talking with them so thank you so much for uh for soldiering on it's very much appreciated yeah. um as a as our listeners and uh viewers uh should know as they've uh heard the intro uh we're talking with uh christopher rios um the film his film is menudo forever young released in uh june on hbo max um is it, a, it does it have a wider release coming is it going inter international at any time soon well, I believe that, like, um, because it's on HBO Max, it's on all of its international platforms. I mean, we, we, I know for a fact that, like, we, we are out in Latin America, um, and, okay. and in, you know, and in Spain, I would be surprised if we aren't, you know, kind of not shared more widely, but we've been doing really well in, um, in the Latin American market right now. I can imagine you have been. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, how's, how's the reaction been so far? And congratulations to, for getting the film to this stage. Thank you. Um, you know, I think for for me personally, and and I probably do speak for the, the larger production team. One of the things that we were just most not concerned with, but really kind of anxious about, wanted to know once it was released, was how fans were going to react to it. Because you know, mm. the the film it's a four part docu series. The first two parts really do uh, celebrate the band and all of its contributions to pop music and all of the sort of barriers that the, you know, that the boys broke for Latinx musicians, Puerto Rican musicians. But the last two episodes really kind of delve into some of the, the harder things that the, mm. the band members experienced while they were in the band. Yeah. And, you know, not, not much of what we reveal in the docuseries is, uh, had not been published or had not been sort of yeah. exposed before, but, I don't think that many fans knew about it. And so for us, we, it was a tricky balance between celebrating the band, but also mm -hmm. talking about these harder things that we felt were necessary that the band members themselves, you know, in our conversations with them, this mm -hmm. is what they were putting forward. They felt was necessary. And mm -hmm. so the, the, the thing that we were anxious about was when it finally was released, how the fans were going to engage with it. Were they going to understand that, you know, what we were attempting to do is yes, celebrate the band, but also have everyone understand the, the, the cost that, you know, mm. that the band members okay. paid to be in the band. And so far, I think what we're, what we're seeing is that the fans are getting it, you know, uh, they, they really, they really understand what we're trying to say with the film. They, they're really engaging with the band members and the things that they're sharing in the film or in the series, sorry. Uh, and that to me is a relief. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. Um, well, I think I, I think you've you've done it quite well, um, and actually lends, lends itself uh, naturally to a, a four parter, doesn't it? But uh, um, I mean, let's celebrate the band. For, well, let's talk about the celebration side of things first. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe uh, for, for yeah. I mean, for your for our listeners, maybe can you maybe put Menudo in a historical perspective in terms of of. Uh, how what they meant, you know, and, and many of us who were alive at the time and aware of them maybe didn't quite appreciate it at the time. Yeah, so I like to say that they're the sort of first modern global boy band in the way that we yeah, understand yeah. understand boy bands right now, right? 
Uh, I mean, of course you had the Beatles. Um, of course you had the Jackson five, yeah. even had groups like the Fosters. But when you think about boy bands, the way that we engage with them and consume them now, um, Backstreet Boys, um, you know, in sync, 98 degrees, BTS, right. Mm. Uh, Manudo is the first band to really, um, commercialize uh, young men in this way. Right. Mm. And, you know, for Puerto Ricans don't need a lot to be proud, uh, need, don't need a lot to sort of uh, start talking about how amazing we are and how proud we are right, of, right. of our island. But this is one of those situations where, um, and, and most of the situations are true, but this is one of the situations where, you know, Menudo as, you know, as Puerto Ricans representing a small island in the Caribbean that has a very complex relationship with the United States, um, mm. they really did this first. And, they, and, and Menudo through you know, through extension really brought, you know, like a, a lot of attention and brought uh, a lot of pride and joy to the island because we're talking about a time period, you know, this is the late 70s through the, the mid 90s. Puerto Rico's coming out of, of a recession, um, really had suffered a lot in terms of just sort of restructuring in its economy um, through the, the 40s, 50s and 60s, right? Um, really needs a win. And Menudo just sort of uh, comes out, it, it goes into the world, it, 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 it really kind of uh, strikes uh, a chord in the youth in Latin America. And then really just mm -hmm. kind of takes the world by storm in the 80s, right? Um, and so it's a really big deal for the island. It's a really big deal for the, the diaspora, you know, like Puerto Ricans in the United mm -hmm. States and, and other parts of the world. And um, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing for us to be able to say that they did it first. You know, I, I think the other thing, you know, so that's that's what we always sort of lead with, right? They're the first boy band. But I think that when we think about um, global youth culture, uh, it's mm. also the first model, you know, that is, you know, from a small island like Puerto Rico, connecting to Venezuelans, to Peruvians, to Mexicans, to people in the United States, to Italians. I mean, they had they had Italian albums. They were massive in Brazil. They were, you know, they went to Japan several times. Um, really big in the Philippines. You know, this is the the late seventies, early eighties that we're talking about. It seems very common now. I mean, anyone can become globally famous using social media. But back then, there wasn't social media, right? And so, it's a big feat for a very small. What starts as a small kind of um, family-run operation out of a place like Puerto Rico to explode in this way. It's a really big thing. Um, and, 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 it's a, and it's an interesting enough model, you know, for the music industry that a big label like RCA signs them for a multi-million dollar, multi-year deal, right? That's not a small thing, right? Um, the other thing that I think is really, you know, and, and so kind of going back to uh, being proud of Puerto Ricans, um, I also think they do a lot for you know, this is the, the late 70s, early 80s. There's a lot of people that are uh, immigrating to the United States from places like Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, mm -hmm. Mexico, Puerto Rico. I mean, we're citizens, but, you know, there are a lot of Puerto Ricans now not on the island living in the United States. Mm -hmm. And at, at this time in, in, the, in the early 80s, you know, you're a Puerto Rican living in New York. You're a Mexican living in New York. This idea of Latinx as an identity, as, you know, your experience... Um, coming from a place like Puerto Rico or coming from a place like Mexico, but living in the United States as a distinct experience, that's not quite articulated yet in, in the 80s, right? We're living in our, in our little communities. Menudo is the first time where 
Puerto Ricans and Mexicans and El Salvadorans and Hondurans in the United States have a touchstone, right? Mm. We have a band that we can celebrate that's speaking in our language, right? Yes, they're from Puerto Rico, but you can be from another part of Latin America, be a Spanish speaker, right? And love them, uh, idolize them. And that's an important thing, <clears throat> not just for the adults, because we're in, in a lot of the archival footage, we find that like, um, you know, the adults are super happy that their daughters are into Menudo because they're worried that their that their children are going to start mm -hmm. losing the language. So they're like, great, my, you know, if my daughter wants to celebrate this band that speaks Spanish, amazing. But it's really important for that generation, that young generation, that first, second generation of people living in the diaspora to find that commonality and to finally be seen, right? I think that's the thing that we hear a lot from the fans that we hear, you know, that we, we heard in the archival, but also heard in our interviews with the fans that before Menudo, if you are Puerto Rican living in the South Bronx, a lot of what you're confronting in the media, a lot of the representations mm. of yourself in the media are that you are, you know, you live in communities that are crime ridden, right? You live in communities that are dangerous, right? Um, when Menudo shows up, that's not the narrative because they're polished, right? They are projecting goodwill. They're projecting good values um, and they're being celebrated. You know, Ed Koch, the mayor of New York at the time, brings them to city hall and gives them keys to the city, right? Mm -hmm. They're at the UN. They're at Matt Square Garden. They're at Radio City Music Hall. They're at these premier venues and it's the first time for a lot of young people that they see themselves in someone that's that to me is one of the most important things that Menudo does. The, they really allow for young people in the Spanish speaking diaspora in the United States to have a bigger sense of themselves and to have a sense of, you know what, I can go places too. Because up until that point, that's not the messages that they're getting in the in the US media, right? That's not that's not the representations of themselves that they're getting in the media. Um, I, I was just going to say, I think that that was all excellent because if if I can add my own little bit of perspective on this, I grew up in South Texas yeah. and um, as an as what we would call an Anglo down there. Um, I did work with you know this was early '80s working with uh, uh, Latinos and it was you know. Uh, me settling on that there are there are all these different cultural differences within the the Latino community, right? But uh, that wasn't what then I discovered. I, they were really Menudo. I, I think the other one that comes to mind is someone like Gloria Estefan, right? They were you mm -hmm. know who's, who's Cuban from South Florida, but that you know they were the guys I worked with in in South Texas were so excited about this. You know, this was something that was there there. Spanish language was being celebrated. Their kids were interested in holding on to the language. These sort of things were, um, it was quite the phenomenon, as you've pointed out, in terms of where, uh, you know, what had been before, and then they and Menudo and along with others were, 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 were changing. Yeah, and, you know, if I may just um, belabor the point a little bit more, right? Um, I think that like this thing about languages, we, we express it in the, in, the, in the series, but there's a lot to say and, and we don't really go into it too much, but it's hugely important, you know, now to some extent, depending on where you are in the world, right? Being bilingual, being multilingual is celebrated, right? Mm. It's an asset. I mean, you know, I, I came up and, you know, I was born in 83. So, you know, my, my kind of like formative years are in the 90s, but 
even in the 90s, you know, mm. growing up in, in the U.S., uh, speaking Spanish wasn't something that was celebrated, you know, like, um, yes, if you went to Spanish class and you were a little bit more advanced, great, awesome, right? But if you were out in the streets, you know, or if you were out in certain places, speaking Spanish wasn't something, I think that's another really big thing that Menudo does, Um that is not uncommon today. You know, BTS is probably probably the biggest boy band, pop boy band in, in the world right now. And they speak Korean. I mean, I've seen kids in Newark, New Jersey, you know, uh, just, you know, losing their minds over BTS. And they, they don't understand what they're saying, but it doesn't matter anymore. Back then, it did matter. Back then, if you were, you know, in certain parts of New York City or you're in certain neighborhoods and you're talking Spanish to your parents, right? That stigmatized you. So for Menudo to do what they did, all in Spanish to an extent, right? There is a part where they, they do cross crossover and they start yeah. singing in English, right? But their early success, what got them there was just songs in Spanish, right? Yeah. That's a big deal. And, and it's a yeah. big deal, not just because they're breaking barriers in their own language, but it's a big deal because they're allowing people who are native Spanish speakers in yeah. the United States or in the diaspora to finally feel seen. Yeah, I mean, this was at the same time that you had certain some states, I remember California, people pushing for uh, laws to make English the official language, you know, there's no official language in the United States, but it's obvious that English is the lingua franca of, of the US. But, you know, there were these kind of efforts uh, in place to, to tamp, stamp down on actually use of Spanish in public places and in the workplace and stuff like that. So, uh, but besides, I mean, so... I mean, we could go on. Um, I know our time is uh, is tight, actually, but we could go on about the celebratory side. And it's your film, the docu series, celebrates that some great great archival that you've you have, and and showing the the phenomenon that was and is Menudo. But then there was this darkness also behind this feel good story. Um, and maybe you could talk about. I mean, you. you People should watch the series. You go into a lot of detail, but uh, I mean, maybe you can tell us a little about the conditions that these these boys had to operate under. Yeah, so I think most of the stuff, uh, most of the light stuff, is not of any surprise. You know, it's a music industry, um, and it's it's a music industry in a in a, in a money making capitalist system. So, mm. you know, um, I think that when people hear that these kids were overworked. Um, when they hear that, uh, not at first, but, at, uh, you know, within like two or three iterations of the band, because, you know, the model is that the, the brand stays the same, but what we do is we wrote, you know, what, what they did was they rotate out, rotated out the boys as they aged out. So the second they hit, you know, the, the rule was the second they hit puberty, right? Or they got too old, that's it, you're gone, you're celebrated, thank you for your time. And then they brought in a much younger, um, you know, uh, boy to replace the person who's leaving, right? That wasn't a hard and fast rule, um, especially towards the end, right? Um, but, uh, you know, that model of like rotating people out meant for those three or four years that that boy was in the band, the 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 machine right menudo the machine had to extract maximum profit from them and so in the early years the the band members were partners in the organization right partners in menudo but very quickly the the management figures out that it's going to be much more convenient for them um, and much more profitable for them if they have them on a salary 
so it was sort of scaled, right? You went in at one salary and the longer you stayed with the band, your salary went up, but it did cap, right? Um, and so what happens when commercial deals are being brought in, right? What happens when, you know, Colgate wants you to do a commercial for them or McNod- mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was McDonald's um, or what happens when you do TV appearances, right? When you're on ABC shows, right? Where does mm-hmm. that money go? Well, the money goes to the organization, right? It goes to Menudo and then it is paid out in your salary. Um, so, you know, if you're making tons of money off of commercial deals, right? But that's not being translated to money that's mm-hmm. being given to the band members. That's not exactly fair, or at least that's the perspective of the band members, right? That it wasn't equitable, it wasn't fair, right? So a lot of that was going on. Um, you know, when I say overwork, you, you know, I mean, what we heard from these guys is that they would, they would leave in January and not see their fam- family until like December, right? Um, they would just go. Uh, they would go on tour. Yeah, sure, they would come back like maybe for a weekend here and there, but they're basically, uh, once they're in the band and once they start heading out on tour, on the road nonstop. And once they're on the road, right, their, their schedule, their daily schedule is pretty rigorous. You know, waking up at 6 a.m., um, maybe doing a little bit of school, uh, although schooling wasn't consistent and schooling wasn't a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe they did like half an hour, an hour in the morning, right, while they're having breakfast. And then from seven, let's say, on, they're doing stuff related to the enterprise, either practicing or going on radio promotion or TV promotion or magazine promotion or doing concerts. And then they don't go to bed until very late in the evening, right? Um, very late at night, right? Uh, that's the kind of conditions that these guys are working under. And so that's sort of the, the light stuff, um, mm. the, the exploitation light that we call, you know, that we would, we would call it, right? Uh, that isn't a total surprise, right? Yeah. And then, but then it's, and then, and we just remind ourselves, we're talking about 12 to 15, 16 year old boys in, in working under these conditions. Uh, but then it's more than ridiculously long hours. So then I guess the, the sort of the, phase two or whatever of the the diff uh, is is the physical and mental abuse as well i mean um that uh, i mean you know you even have the story about the one who was basically minutes away from dying because of an emergency appendicitis and things like that i mean that that sounded horrific yeah Angela. yeah so you know this is something that uh i think is we try to show as a part of the culture, right? A part of the culture of being behind the scenes in Menudo, the, the mental and physical abuse. Um, you know, I think some people will watch this and be like, like who would get on stage and in pain and perform to the point of, you know, throwing up blood, right? Like who would do that? But you got to understand that the, the first thing that I think was really shocking to us to find out is that Edgardo Diaz, uh, one of these kids were entered the band, he was in local parentis, right? He had, he had, he, he was effectively their legal guardian, right? Um, and so that's number one, right? Like Ed, Ed, uh, Edgardo Diaz and, and the enterprise, many of the enterprise had legal guardianship over these boys. So once they leave their parents' home, right? That's it, right? They, they belong to Menudo. Um, uh, the other thing is that there is this, this behind the scenes culture, uh, you know, you, you come into the band and you're haste naturally. Right. I mean, any, any system, any culture, like you have to adapt mm. to it. 
but the hazing is uh, very specific and 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 very much about getting the the new band member to conform to this behind the scenes culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and if you don't conform, if you don't fit, that's it, you're out. But from a perspective of a performer, right, uh, who wants to be a Menudo, they audition for Menudo, like this is the opportunity of a lifetime, right? So why would you, why would you squander that, right? So what you're going to do is you are going to conform, you are going to adapt, you are going to try to fit in this, in this behind the scenes culture. So yeah, I mean, you know, that, those, that early hazing, you know, that, that they experienced, and this was consistent, we heard this from all the band members, you know, that was very much about getting them to tolerate, you know, a certain level of, uh, you know, abuse that most people would never tolerate. And so when someone tells a story, like, you know, I was up on stage, I, and, and I, I blacked out, start, you know, start coughing blood, and I black out and I wake up in the hospital. It's because you have to understand that Angelo is in, is in an environment that is really set up to extract as much from him and, and really not, uh, care care much about his well-being um and and he you know he he was in it he was in that culture Mm -hmm. he was in that system yeah yeah and then the other then taking it to the to the deepest darkest sides of things these uh boys are surrounded by uh sexual predators their parents aren't around as you say uh um and for some of them uh they became victims of 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 abuse and, and rape. Isn't, isn't that true? Yes. Um, so, you know, in the, in the, the, the series, Angelo, um, he shared a story about being, being raped um, a series of times. Uh, and that's an extreme, that's a very extreme, uh, that's a very extreme story. I, I, I don't want people to walk away with the impression that this happened to all the band members. Cause that's right. not true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But what is true is that, there was a, a pervasive behind the scenes environment where these boys were, I mean, they were being sexualized, you know, on the album covers right. in the merchandising. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that didn't stop once they went home, you know, you know, once they stopped, they got off the stage and went back to the hotel rooms or went back home. Um, and mind you, they often shared, um, you know, shared living space when they weren't on tour with the management. Right. So they, they weren't going back home to their parents. They're going back home to these houses and these homes that like the management had set up around the world or in Puerto Rico. Right. So that's, that sexualization, that environment didn't stop. Right. Mm. Um, and the people who were around, you know, who are helping. And so, you know, this is something that um, we, we do kind of characterize in, in the documentary. When I say the people who are around, it could be the management. It could be, you know, it's a big enterprise. So when you go to Mexico to tour, or when you go to Venezuela to tour, mm-hmm. right, they're local promoters, they're local, you know, so there are people in, in that sort of entourage, right, that also have a predilection for young boys, right. And so mm-hmm. these are the people that uh, the, the band members are engaging with and coming into contact with day in and day out, right, that are, mm-hmm. you know, that see them that see these, these, these boys as, uh, as, you know, sex icons, right? Mm-hmm. And so it they, they were dealing with this uh, uh, consistently, you know, it, and, um, and we share some stories in, in you know, in the film. And, and, I, and I, I should say that everything that's in our docuseries um, is stuff that we've been able to corroborate, right? 
Right. Um, there's there's a lot of it's not like you know oh this guy told me and we're going to put it in the film. No, it doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. There's many 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 um, points of uh, reporting and um, corroboration and just things that like are we're yeah. hearing kind of repetitive, you know, like that we feel comfortable saying okay this can be put in the in the docu series, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but there's a lot of other stories that we've heard, <laughs> you know, that you can't yeah. put in there um, yeah. because you know you maybe heard it from two people or you don't have enough corroboration right the, the one thing i do feel confident saying is that like yes like when they were in the band um most of their days they were being sexualized uh on and off the stage yeah, yeah. well and i guess we should say i mean there's allegations also made about Edgardo diaz and just to be fair you've reached out to him and uh um for comment and he's himself has long denied any of these these allegations so we just yeah. Just, but as you say, your certainly your journalism background comes to the fore, uh, in, uh, and so that's that's uh, very much appreciated. Actually, um, actually, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna give our listeners a quick break, but we'll be right back with uh, Christopher Rios, one of the directors of Menudo, Forever Young, released in June on HBO Max. Most of you listening to this should have access to that around the world. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with award-winning filmmaker Christopher Rios, uh, one of the directors of Menudo, Forever Young, released in June on HBO Max. Um, so we've been talking about this uh, this 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 docu series that uh, you've done about the the band Menudo. How did you uh, how did you get involved with this project? How was this your idea? I mean, uh, how you know how did this happen? Yeah, I can't take credit for the idea. So. I am, you know, our, our director, our, our, my co-director, Anil Mamoj Soto, it's really his idea. And it's something that he, you know, a lot of people think that, um, that these things, you, you know, you have the idea and then in three months you're pitching it and then in right. six months it's it, you've got the money and you're doing it. Yeah. And it doesn't really work that way ever. Um, yeah. So Anil Mamoj was working on this for, I want to say, seven or eight years and you know he comes from the scripted world although he has he does have experience in documentary but um you know right now he's actually making you know a film for for warner um and and when he met our executive producers on this project he he had just finished the film a scripted film mm. um and so he had envisioned this project as a scripted series um i think that anyone uh, from my generation that grew up and sort of, you know, born in the eighties um, and grew up in, you know, the eighties, nineties, and maybe just before a generation, just before they know Menudo, they, they know, I mean, I grew up with Menudo uh, party favors being handed out at birthday parties, you know, cause I grew up a little bit on the Island. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but I Manuel, like he actually quite literally grew up with these guys, you know, like um, oh, wow. he, yeah, he grew, he's from Santurce and he, okay. he knew some of these guys who ended up becoming band members. And so as someone who grew up with these guys um, and, and was, was is friends with some of these guys, right? Um, just, you know, from by growing up, right? Yeah. He knew some of this behind the scenes stuff that like um, wasn't really being spoken 
like, you know, out loud, right? And so when he imagined the series, he really imagined it as one, first and foremost, one that allowed the narrative to be put into the hands of not necessarily just the band members, really all the behind Mm -hmm. the scenes players that never had their, you know, their, their chance to tell their version of the story of Menudo. Because up until, I mean, I don't want to say up until this documentary series, but really up until quite recently, you know, uh, the people who, were, who, who really put their blood, sweat, and tears into making Menudo what it was, didn't have an opportunity to share their version of the story. Uh, Ed, Edgardo and, and a few other people who, you know, were the ones who claimed to be Menudo, right? right. They were the ones who really kind of uh, shaped the narrative of the band, uh, shaped the legend and the lore of the band. When you go back and you look through the archival and you look at like what adult is talking, uh, what adult is telling the story of the band, mm-hmm. it's Edgardo and, and a few other, a few other people. Uh, the, the band members outside of just sort of the, you know, the, the light sort of teeny bopper stuff that mm-hmm. you, you know, what's your favorite color? Do you like girls? Do you yeah. have a girlfriend? <laughs> they didn't really get to share their story much, much outside of that stuff. Right. So that was really Anhen Manwad's vision. It was to tell the story about the band um, scripted because it gave him a little bit more leeway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but tell the story about the band from the perspective of the band members. Well, uh, someone else had the same idea. <laughs> and so they kind of beat him to the punch. And so there is an Amazon Prime series that I think is, um, I, I don't actually know if it ever was widely released in the United States, but in Latin, in Latin America, certainly you mm-hmm. can see it called Suete Amimoto, and it's about, it's a scripted, fictionalized version of the story of Menudo, right? Um, well, he was just, you know, I think when, when that came out, he was kind of a little disheartened, but thankfully he connected with Christina Costantini and Alex Fumero, who are uh, the director and producer, respectively, of Mucho Mucho The Legend of Walter Mercado. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a Netflix doc about the Puerto Rican astrologer. And they were at Sundance at the same time. So Anhen was there for his, his uh, film and they were there for the doc and they connect um, and because, you know, great minds, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think it was sort of in that meeting at Sundance between Anhen and Alex and Christina where they were like, you know, this project isn't dead. It, it might actually be better as a docuseries. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it starts. Um, and so it took them about a year, year and a half to develop. And once it started to become, it was obvious it was, it was a, a more serious project. Mm-hmm. That's when they brought me in. I know Alex and Christina. So Christina and I were um, immigration reporters at Univision Fusion for several years. Okay. Um, and, um, and then Alex Fumero also, we, we used to work together at Univision Fusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were thinking who would be a good showrunner to kind of come in and uh, help uh, make this story, you know, make the story what what it is now yeah uh, and that's how i get involved and i think the they thought of me uh one because i do have a background and and i have i sort of have this background both in documentary filmmaking and news right. and they saw this not just as you know yes the celebration of the band and we wanted to you know do all that great stuff but we you can't tell this story without going into the things that we do go into in the later mm-hmm. episodes and they really felt like they needed someone with um, not necessarily an investigative background, but a journalistic background to navigate those stories in a way that, you know, uh, really we're going to be profound, but we're, we're 
we're going to be, you know, journalistically and uh, ethical and, and above board. And yes, and, and I think, um, I mean, as you, we've already alluded to, you, you do drag up a lot of, um, uh, I, I was going to say dark secrets a lot, as you've noted, a lot of this stuff had been reported before, but uh, these, mm-hmm. these stories, I mean, how, how difficult was that for the, uh, for the former band members? Because, you, you know, how do you handle that? Because they, they share a lot of, a lot of uh, detail that I know it must have been very difficult for them to, um, to relive. If, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, I found that there, there, I mean, there are some very, there are some very difficult things that are shared. Um, and not all the interviews were, were easy. They were, you know, they, these, I'm very grateful that um, all the people who participated in this, you know, mm-hmm. in this, and it's not just the band members, really all, all the people that participated in this documentary series they they came to us very open and they came to us uh, ready to be genuine and i think mm-hmm. if there's anything that's good about this docuseries it's that the conversations that we have um they they, they are genuine you know yeah. um it took i think the hard part was convincing them that what we weren't going to do more of the same right that we weren't going right. to do more of what had happened to them in the past they yeah. you know this isn't the first time that the band members have come forward to try to share what they experienced. Right. Um, when they did it in the past, sometimes it was well-received, but most of the time there was a lot of victiming. There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of sort of, Mm. you know, the, 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 the burden of proof, uh, was, was basically placed on them. Um, you know, what they were saying wasn't accepted at face value, which I think in most cases, when we're talking about people who've experienced the things that, you know, you know, sexual abuse and physical abuse and, you know, this kind of mental abuse, violence, right? Like, um, the, uh, we know now that like our default should be to believe the victims and then, and then unpack mm-hmm. it. Right. Uh, that's, that wasn't cult- culturally, uh, um, not just in Puerto Rico, but around the world, that wasn't what was the common practice back then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so they were very hesitant when we came when we came forward and we said, Hey, we want to do this docuseries uh, and we would really love to hear from your perspective. Naturally. So Um, I think that we were persistent um, and we, and we really slowed down the process. I mean, when, when someone tells you, when a network tells you, you have a year to make the thing, the instinct is to say, you know, okay, let's get these guys right now, you know, like, and let's pressure them. And, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and we knew we had nothing if we didn't have, not just the band members, but genuine conversations with them. Mm. So we really took our time when approaching them to just have a conversation, right? Mm. The first com- the first time we talked to many, many of them, it wasn't like, hey, are you ready to do this? It was like, look, right. just hear us out, yeah. you know? And if at the end of the conversation, you, you say no, that's cool, you know, but we just want you to hear us out. And thankfully, um, there were a couple of the guys who were really, you know, they trusted us and they were brave and, Mm. Um, and we did those round of in- interviews very early and then, you know, they talk, right? Like they, they, they were in a band together and, and it's also sort of like a, a kind of brotherhood. So once yeah. we did the first couple of interviews, um, they started to kind of report back to the other guys, what their experience was like with us. And, um, and that kind of then open, you know, open new channels of communication mm. with yeah. some of the, the other band members. So I think that was the hardest part 
once we got into the room, I think that we had built enough trust and we had, when we had shown to them that we were serious, right? That we had done our homework um, and that we really were there to just kind of let them say what they needed to say, um, given our research and our reporting, right? But, you know, let them kind of share their story. And so when, when they start to go into things that are more difficult, I mean, yeah, in the moment, it's emotionally draining for everyone, you know, because mm. um, you realize that uh, you're, you're, you're bringing people back to things that are unpleasant and, and unhappy, right? Mm. But I think that on the other hand, you know, we didn't just talk about the bad stuff. We talked about, you know, mm. their favorite times in the band. Yeah. And, you know, and vibes are really great on set. Like we had, an, we had an amazing field team, you know, we had an amazing production team. And we really tried hard to, you know, like to create environments on set where it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about some hard things, but let's take a break. Let's go, you know, like have some coffee. Let's just talk about things that are not this for a second. Um, we really, you know, went out of our way to, to do those kinds of things because it would be hard for anyone to, mm. to go back to these times and, 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 and to go back to these stories. So uh, I, I like to think we were successful. Um, uh, we do have great, you know, great, a great rapport with many of all, really, with all the, the guys who participated. And so I think that that's a testament to it. But yeah, um, not easy. Uh, but, you know, I think that at the end of the day, the most important thing was the trust and the respect that the mutual trust and respect that my team and, and myself had for, uh, for these guys. And it must have been something incredible for you as well, because as you said, you grew up as a child with this band, and now you're meeting all these former former band members. That must have been a real kick. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that um, that wasn't quite the demographic. I can't say I was, you know, I was more of a hip hop head. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't say I, I, I was a fan, but I certainly am a fan now. Um, mm. I, you know, I'll say that. Yeah, I have a record collection. Um, and I started buying, you know, once you start sort of going into it and you start seeing the musical genius, like, because um, there is musical genius there. I think uh, the producers and uh, the composers and, and, and the, the guys themselves, uh, immense amount of talent. I started buying their records and um, it's now part of, uh, I haven't DJed in a while, but if I do, it'll be part of my, mm. you know, it'd be part of my routine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is... But that said, right, I think that to me, what was, you, you do get starstruck, right? You do, you know, and look, we, we never sat down with Ricky Martin, you know, like we never sat down like with Draco Rosa, you know, like the, the big right. guys who, you know, are, you know, like sort of a different category of star, but that's okay. I mean, these guys uh, are as professional as any superstar that, you know, mm. that you would come across. Uh, I'll tell you that much. Like uh, they, they really know what they're doing that discipline that they learned, you know, so many years ago while being in the band, it continues to this day. And, and they bring that professionalism. So you do feel a little starstruck when you, when you meet these guys. Right. Um, and, and yeah, I'm a super Menudo fan now. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not as serious as some of the, the people you see in the film who like have like Menudo everything on their walls, but um, I'm, I, I probably know as much and, and certainly respect and love them as, as, as much. And so what do you want the docuseries uh, legacy to be? Um, a celebration of Menudo, but also a, maybe a cautionary oh. tale of, of fame and what happens, can happen. 
That's a good question. I mean, certainly that, yeah, I certainly do think that, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen things like, um, and I'm not, I, this is not putting our series on par with these. I'm just saying like, you know, leaving Neverland and right. Um, right, right. the Britney Spears doc in the sense that like they, they're, we're taking pop icons and we're exploring the stories that mm. um, we didn't explore when we were consuming their music and, and when they were icons, right? Mm. I think that, if there's anything to take away uh, in the immediate, it's that, you know, as consumers uh, of anything really, but especially of, you know, uh, of music, um, as fans of music, right? We really do have to consider how, how our participation in that market, right? How our dollars and, and mm -hmm. our consumption, right? Um, what that, what impact and effect that has on the person that's making the music, right? Because there's the image that's being packaged and that's being sold to you, right? But then there's the, there's the person behind that, right? You know, um, <clears throat> kind of different, right? But, you know, Kanye West, right? Uh, mm. He's, we know the Kanye West who's the musician uh, and who is the, the rapper and the, and the producer. And then there's a the Kanye West that goes on to TMZ and goes on to these shows and looks like you know he's losing his mind and we dismiss him right we say he's losing his mind right, right. well there's a person there and there's a person that's going through things and yes he's making a lot of money we're, you know we're we're helping him make a lot of money but there's still a person there right and so i think that the thing that i learned through this process uh is that we shouldn't be so dismissive of of these pop stars humanity right because we miss a whole lot. We miss a whole lot uh, in the moment. And then, you know, many years later, we have to go and make a documentary to revisit that and say, oh, wow, this, yeah. is, this is how we contributed to that, right? So I think that um, one thing that we are learning, certainly, uh, you know, through these documentaries that are exploring the history of these pop stars, right, is that when it happens in the moment, we should maybe take a step back and say, okay, what is happening here, right? Mm. Um, and, and not just dismiss them as these pop stars. So that's, that's the one thing. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing I hope, um, on an industry level, right. Uh, and I say industry, I mean like doc, uh, doc right. filmmaking is that, you know, we can, we can both like something can both be great and also difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think, I think that there's a tendency like nuance is, uh, is not always celebrated, right? Um, it, it is a tendency to, there's a tendency to believe that like, you know, all oh, the, the audience can't get it. And I'd cer I'm not, certainly not saying that that's what our experience uh, on this project. We had, right. the network was amazing and, and really yeah. supported us and really got it from the beginning, right? But generally it's like, you know, like uh, we don't, we don't, uh, you know, we don't really think that those, that, like those two things can happen, right? Like mm -hmm. that, like, you know, two things can, can hold the same space. Um, and so there's a lot of great stories that aren't told, right? Mm. Um, if, if there's one narrative that exists about something and that's sort of the established narrative, but then there's something that counters that it's like, well, is that true? You know, and it takes many, many, many years for this counter narrative to then kind of become, you know, more weighted, right. For then us to explore it. I mean, this, this docuseries could have been done any, uh, you know, yeah. like many years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, it would, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, the, the, the material was all there, right? Um, and it's just because, you know, there was this myth of Menudo, this legend of Menudo, that th it was this great thing. And then there was this other stuff that was bubbling, right? But it wasn't 
you know, it's like, how could this great thing also do like, you know, uh, kind of harm, you know, the people involved in it uh, in this way, right? How? And it's like, they can both be true, you know, like, and, and, the, and the guys would tell you this. It's like, yes, I had some of the most amazing times in my life while in the band. And I also had some of the worst times in my life while in the band. Mm-hmm. And they're both true. Um, yeah. And so I think as doc filmmakers or as storytellers or, you know, as, as yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, as, as people in this industry, when we're looking for stories, um, we shouldn't be afraid to, uh, and it's certainly changing, right? But, um, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to go at stories that, are a little contradictory because so i think there's there's so much more there that's interesting right um so much more like when it's both true it's like that's a, you know that's a four-part docuseries right yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, exactly well i think you've just brilliantly summed up uh what i love about documentary filmmaking and what i think is happening in the industry as well and may that long continue and uh May you long continue making great uh, docu-series and features, and we look forward to uh, having you on again sometime, uh, Christopher. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. So, uh, and all well done while having COVID. So, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, thank you. you just, I hope I, that made sense. <laughs> yeah, you made more, you made, you made very, you made plenty of sense, I can tell you right now. Right. So, so th- I just want to say thank you again to Christopher Rios, one of the directors and one of the producers of Menudo, Forever Young. It's currently on HBO Max. Do go watch it, and hopefully we can have uh, Christopher on again with his next project. So um, thanks again, Christopher, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I'd like to give a shout out to Sam and Joe Graves at Intersound Audio in Eskrick, England in deepest, darkest Yorkshire. A big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas. You can reach out to us on YouTube, social media, or directly by going to our website, www.factualamerica.com and clicking on the Get in Touch link. And as always, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.